0: As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. Leaving big bank earnings reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who want to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm sitting down with Miguel Fernandez, co-founder and CEO of CapChase, a fintech for reoccurring revenue companies to secure non-dilutive capital. In short, CapChase is for industry by industry as a software as a service company for software as a service companies. I'm excited to dive a little deeper into what that means, and we're also going to cover Miguel's values and the future of CapChase. Miguel, welcome to What the Fintech.
1: Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, how are you today? Where are you located? Are you working in office from home? You've met my cat twice already. How, how are <laughs> things on your end?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working from the office. We have an office. We have a few offices, actually, uh, in New York, London, Madrid, and Barcelona. Um, I'm in, in New York, in the HQ. And yeah, dialing from the flat iron area.
0: Oh, nice. I love that area. That's so cool. Are you, but for the most part, you guys are um, a hybrid, like remote and in office, right? Because you guys have folks all over yeah. the world working for
1: Right. You. Yeah, yeah. E- even even in, in the US, we have people everywhere. Uh, but today it happens to be like a Christmas celebration. So everybody in the U.S. team has flown in and we're celebrating together. Oh, yeah.
0: that's so nice. All right. Well, thank you for giving me the time of day, given that you're about to have <laughs> some some company celebration. I know how fun that is. So we'll try to keep this as fun as possible. Keep up that, that holiday spirit. Um, but yes, yeah, so your background is so interesting and I want to dive into that. You're from <laughs> Madrid. I have family in Madrid. So oh, very nice. cool. Um, You've spent some time going to school in Munich with a deep engineering back, background and focus before heading yeah. off to Harvard for your MBA. You then became a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Talk to me a bit about how your culturally diverse background really influences you as a fintech founder, trying to make other founders' lives better.
1: Right. Yeah. So, so as you said, you know, my, my background is in engineering. It's in mechanical in Madrid, mechanical engineering in Madrid, and then nuclear engineering in Munich. And it's true that I never worked as an engineer. I did a couple of internships in, in R and D, which are very, very technical, but I did engineering pretty much for like the structured approach to solving problems. Right. So right after I finished school, I worked in consulting for a couple of years doing mostly banking, you know, and, and that's when I first got in touch with FinTech and started to understand how you could, you know, unbundle banks to, to focus on the good stuff to serve people in a specific way. Um, and then I worked in a, in a SaaS business, taking it from zero to a few million ARR, being in charge of sales, customer success and international. And frankly, suffering most of the pains that we're trying to solve right now. Right. And then I went to, to Harvard to my MBA. And, um, together with my co-founders, we had the idea of launching something together upon graduation. Ideally, one, another co-founder also went to Harvard. One went to Berkeley, one to instead. Um, and, you know, we had never really had the time, but when we got to, to the MBA, we started researching and four months in, we were actually looking at the intersection between what we knew and what we liked. So we knew B2B SaaS, we really liked FinTech. And then four months in, we came up with the idea of Captiz, uh, where we wanted you know to help SaaS businesses access you know, the, the, the products, the financial products that they needed, and then putting them on autopilot. So they wouldn't have to spend, such funders wouldn't have to spend time setting up and running financial products. And they could focus on what really matters, you know, like building and selling products and letting CAPTAs or our platform take care of their financing and other finan- financial needs. Uh, and yeah, that was such a, a good validation and instant, you know, pull from the market that we, we actually dropped out of HBS to, to focus on this full time. And, and yeah, now it's, it's been crazy, right? Like one and a half years after that, uh, we are almost 90 people in the team across the whole world. We have like something like 25 nationalities, something like that. It's cool. And, and we're helping, you know, thousands of founders at this point, um, to grow their businesses faster, keep more of the ownership, you know, and in general, be more efficient uh, when they scale.
0: Mm -hmm. I I love that story because you're literally doing exactly what fintech is and maturing technology and software is meant to do. And it's meant to basically be able to talk to each other enough to be able to give folks the uh, most efficient right life or business or um, just like style of doing things. And that's the whole point. And you're doing that and you're applying it in such a you know, interesting and, um, you know, niche almost, if you will, way, but that's, you know, the booming market, right? Finding a way to leverage fintech to be able to make people's lives better because that in turn, you know, connects to the end user and so forth and so on. So it just like is such a circle, a full circle, if you will. Um, and I love that you've also said in press releases that it's time to break the creative bankruptcy that has existed for too <laughs> long in the world of B two B. I love that. I, I yeah. like every episode I record. I'm like I want to put like a phrase or a quote that my guests say on a T-shirt or like a <laughs> sticker um, and and have that. Uh, and I love that quote from you. Will you elaborate on what exactly you mean by this?
1: Yeah, I mean if you think about what what probably what a founder hates most is is. And fundraise, right? Like nobody likes that. It's a very, very uh, bittersweet feeling of, sure, I'm raising money, but at the same time, I'm, I'm selling a stake of the company that is naturally going to be worth, you know, 10 or 100 times more a couple of years from now, right? So then that's a bittersweet feeling. And then when you're talking about the branding and how this feels, some VCs are really, really good at branding. Um, I would say that no financial institution, no B2B financial institution is good at branding. They're totally how would I say, like dry, like it it, it it. has like an intimidating feel to it, right? And then when, when you talk to like regular, like non-dilutive um, companies or even like like debt providers, something like that, it's always like this weird conversation where they are, the founders are very focused on the upside and focused on what can be. And then um, these debt providers are focused on protecting a downside, right? So that, that's like a very dry, it doesn't feel good. The brands are not amazing. And, you know, we are... The, Why we did this rebrand and and why we want to, what we want to convey to founders is that, you know, we are here for founders. We are founders ourselves. We are, we built the product that we wished we could have used, you know, a couple of years in the past. And we want a a brand that conveys that and and that, you know, just helps to, to make founders at ease, you know, with, with something that is very, very new. Right. So it's normal that it feels, um, unknown, you know, and and it feels just like they have to go down some education curve. But yeah, we believe that besides content, besides the actual value, probably the brand is important. I want to get that across.
0: Yeah, I don't think in the past that brand building and that content creation and almost marketing, if you will, marketing is um, so much more modernized these days. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's gotten the credit that it deserves in the past. Right. And um, when you are a founder and you're just getting going and to be able to leverage um, you know, technology or automate that process of you know understanding the best way to leverage your capital so that you are you are freed up and have the time to actually, you know, think about that story and um, address what needs to be addressed. And because that is hard, you know, people think that's easy. Like you just come up with these things and you tell your story and like, no, you have to do it in such an engaging way. Um, and maybe uh, I'm realizing, exactly. like, shoot, I tell stories every day for a living, right? Like, <laughs> it's hard, guys. Um, I can't imagine also trying to found, like, you know, a whole startup uh, while yeah. doing it, right? I mean, shoot, my 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 CEO and one of my founders is doing it right now. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do want to. I do love how very mission-driven Capchase is. Um, and right, mm-hmm. we we said it. It turns reoccurring revenue into growth funding, so founders no longer need to choose. Between things like scaling or diluting their company, what are those right. core values of CapChase? and why do you think that those values will translate into long-term success for your company?
1: Right. Yeah. So, so I think here it's like a little bit different. What the, the values that the value that we provide to 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 the founders that we work with, you know, and the values that we have as a company to attract talent and people that would help us, you know, to go faster in this mission. Right. So, yeah. uh, in terms of what we, what we add to, to founders, I think it's super clear. Like we give to them more fuel from the business and tools to be more efficient, to understand what works and what doesn't, and to unlock capital to grow without having to dilute themselves in the process. So, you know, that phrase, like you no longer have to choose between scaling, um, or dilution, right? Like that is because right now if, if a founder you know wants to grow 10x the business they probably you know need a ton of capital to do so and then they race around and then they sell part of the company right so they are they are choosing scale you know over right. over over ownership right so with captives is different with captures you can grow much faster than without captures, you know and w- while keeping that ownership so you can grow by using your future revenues to grow now instead of having to wait until you get them through the door and just fueling growth with your VC or cash reserves. So that's for the customer. And then for, for the people that we attract, and I think that shines through in everything that we do, we have five main values. The first one is you know, yes before no. We're doing things that have never been done. It's super hard. So we need that attitude of like, oh yeah, when, when somebody brings up like a crazy proposal, something has never been done, we want people to say, okay, yes, let's go and do it. And that is you know what has made us do things that, like we didn't know they were so hard and that's why we, why we did them, right? So that's the first one. it for no. Then is build the attitude. Again, we want people that enjoy building things, not just thinking about them, but actually going heads down and building them. Then intellectual humility. So people that are very, 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 very smart, very curious. They wanna you know learn about different things, but they also know that the the, the the person sitting next to them is also really smart, right? So open minded as well, and not, you know, the arrogant type that thinks they know they, they know they know it all. And then um the third one would be disagree and commit. So we want people, you know, to voice their opinion, bring their background, bring the diversity, then discuss. But then once a decision is made, then just um you know, just go ahead with it. It's better to do something, you know, quickly and fail in the process and then pivot than have the endless discussions about what we should do or I told you so. Um, et cetera. And then last of all, it's work hard and work smart, right? Like we're everybody working really hard. There's a lot of things to figure out, lots of new stuff, but also, you know, being smart about it and making sure that we're working as a team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are, um, really good, uh, just action items and takeaways for anyone, um, you know, any FinTech leader, any FinTech operator, um, anyone in the space that is listening, um, you know, to apply those uh, values to their their own a- day-to-day, um, you know, if they don't already have them, because those really do create that foundation for a successful company, is understanding exactly what your values are and what you're bringing to the table. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, w- when it gets to kind of, um, you know, as a startup, what would you say, um, it, why is it so important, if you will, uh, to look beyond the binary choices of VC funding versus like bank loans and debt?
1: Right. I think that it's just a matter of, of, of being more efficient, right? And, and until now, under says it wasn't, like you could theorize about being more efficient, but like the choice wasn't really there, right? Like if, mm. if any, even now, right, if a founder In a growing, in a growing business, in a growing SaaS business goes to a bank to get a loan. The answer is unequivocally going to be no. And the reason is because banks cannot work with companies that burn money, right? Like if a negative EBITDA business goes to a bank, they're going to get a no for an answer for sure. It's guaranteed because the regulation doesn't allow banks that have deposits from customers to work with companies that burn money, right? What Captiz has done is, is, is bring, like make this really a choice. Now, now you can do it. And the reason why is because um, the, the asset that founders are using to secure financing is not their the, the company that's burning money, right? It's, actual, it's actually the revenues that Captiz can predict, right? So then that becomes an asset that is more secure from a lending point of view or like more safer to, 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 to lend against, and then, you know, this is what enables founders to get just more efficient about it. And when I talk about efficiency, it's like, if you think about it, all the money is green, right? But, you know, VC money costs 60%, a hundred percent, a thousand percent year over year. So, so and let me put some numbers there. A company that is worth now $10 million and they raise a round, you know, let's say that they, they raise a round of $1 million, right? So they sell 10% of the business and then they grow the business. Five x, you know, in the course of a year, um, let's say the the they business ten x, right? So the business is worth a hundred million dollars a year from now. And then that ten percent that they sold for one million, it would cost them ten million dollars to buy back, right? So then that means that the cost of capital is is insane. It's like a, a thousand percent, right, or nine hundred percent, which is is extremely expensive. So when we, when we talk about efficiencies, there are some areas that like where you need to invest in that have an uncertain return, right? You don't really know if a bet, let's say in research and development or a bet in a new market is going to actually bring returns or when those returns are going to be materialized. So for those bets, when you don't really know what's going to happen, it's much better to use equity. Sure, equity is expensive, but if those bets pull off, the return is insane, right? If they don't pull off, you you don't have to return the money to anybody, right? So let's use equity for that. But on everything else that's totally predictable, that can be, you know, customer acquisition, hiring salespeople, investing in like software or infrastructure, things like that, you know, you know, the return they're going to have. It doesn't make sense to use extremely expensive money for predictable return. It makes much more sense to use very, very cheap money like Capsis to get a predictable return. And once you get that return, you actually pay Capsis back. Right. So, so that's what we, what we, what we talk about, you know, m- about making it much more efficient and about going beyond VC, VC funding, which it has a use and it will always have a use, but it shouldn't be the only tool that founders have at their disposal.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like uh, VC money and, and acquiring it, if you will, is uh, it's expensive. It's time consuming. Yeah. Um, and so you, you kind of touched on it, but you know, when you are thinking of that that VC money. What are some of the best ways to actually use it, uh, since it is so um, almost sacred?
1: Yeah. For example, like we, we have raised VC money ourselves, right? Like it really does have a use. Um, we're using for everything that that we don't really know, you know, how it's going to pan out, right? So, for example, yeah. engineers, um, new product development, right? Like new products. Sure. Like we we have a rigorous process for launching new products. We try to make sure that we are doing the right things. But like you never know if a product. Has product market fits until it's out there, right? And and then you know as you keep investing in improvements, some improvements have insane returns and others don't have any returns, right? So uh, in that sense, we're using equity. So generally, everything that's unpredictable should be equity, mm-hmm. and then everything that's predictable should be ideally non-equity, right? Like uh, or, or non-dilutive. There are much better ways to to use money for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, I am also curious to hear from you the, those benefits of revenue financing for entrepreneurs kind of diving in a little bit into, um, you know, that, that sauce that, uh, CapChase really uses.
1: Yeah. So there are a few things. Let's see. So I think the benefits of of the, of the non diluted financing of the, of the uh, revenue financing is that Suddenly, you you have much more time on your hands. You don't need to spend, you know, hundreds of hours racing and closing around, which takes a, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, and it's a lot of distraction for the executive team, right? So you get more time, then you get more funds. So then you can actually start to bake predictability into the future. And those these funds, the funds that funders can access, are related to the revenue, right? To revenue and their metrics. So what they get from Capchis is always like an indication of how much funding they could access, not only today, but over the following 12 to 24 months, right? Based on the, metri- on the projection of the metrics. So then a founder can instantly know as they advance and as they think about the future, if I get to this point, this is how much money I can access through CAPSIS, right? So then that certainty and predictability, you, it, it is really helpful. You don't really have to think about racing around six months from now. You just have to think about, okay, if my churn is below, let's say 3%, if my growth is above, you know, 5% month of a month, whatever, whatever the underwriting metrics, you know, um, come out with, then they know they can access funding. That's right? so your predictability time and then, and then growth, right? Like more funds applied into predictable return stuff always generates more growth. So on average, founders are with CAPSIS before they start working with CAPSIS and after, um, the difference in growth is around like 55% wow. higher growth, uh, on a month to month basis which is wild, right? Imagine growing faster and without using your, your equity. Uh, it, it is a massive difference.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, it, just even thinking about like the operations of how you even build something like this, right? And um, being able to have that uh, automation, to have those um, you know kind of predictive analytics, right? I mean, what are some of the highs and lows of building something just so innovative like this tool? Yeah, um, <laughs> the,
1: the it, it's it's funny because like when when what we've done is incredible. Like we've grown extremely, extremely, extremely fast. We must be one of the fastest growing businesses in, in in the world in terms of revenue. Um But from the inside, what we see, and perhaps that's that's like you know, like my my personal style or the founder's personal style. Uh, what we see is everything that we have left yet to build. You know, because yeah. we're really at day zero and instead of instead of just you know celebrating what we've done. So I think we'll have to do a little bit more of celebrating you know, and celebrating the, the highs because it's incredible. Like we've raised a ton of money in, in 18 months. Like We've grown extremely quickly. Like Everybody says that they haven't seen a company growing this fast um, when we talk with investors or things like that. They, they haven't seen companies growing this fast in years right? or, or in decades. Um, so th- those are the highs for sure. The lows are, I guess, the... The constant feeling that we are building the plane as we fly it, right? So there's always some things that 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 need fixing or need you know evolving, and it's like a lot, a lot of hard work. Um, so you know you could feel that the percentage of our lives that Capsys takes is is extremely, extremely, extremely high, right? Like there's very little room for anything else uh, at this hyper growth stage, and a lot of that, you know, it gets solved or gets better. With time as both we, we get better at what we do, like on a personal level, and then also as, as, as we attract more like executive leadership with a lot of experience mm-hmm. that, um, start solving things. But again, like the, the level of growth is so quick when you're duplicating the business every three months, it's just, yeah, like you need to constantly, constantly evolve things and fix things. And then the bottleneck across the company is always moving from one place to another. You solve one and then boom, the bottleneck appears somewhere <laughs> else. And then you solve that and then it moves somewhere else. And yeah, everything is getting better. And like you look three months ago and yeah, like we are so much better than three months ago, but still is, you know, like we need to fix all of this stuff.
0: yeah Yeah, i mean and i i so appreciate your transparency and honesty and i think a lot of the um audience that will listen to this will resonate with that uh fintech is booming there's there's no doubt about it and the money is flooding in and folks are interest interested between whoever you are whether you're a startup founder or consumer or whatever um you know people want to get in on this everyone wants the the ticket to uh to the fintech world and so um but you know to be able to kind of think about um, all of the different uh, challenges or hurdles and then, um, you know, how you address them, right? And I think you're right that it comes to being, um, you know, a, a leader and your leadership style, right? Because theres a there's got to be a hard balance between um, scaling a fast growing fintech like yours and then keeping that, right, that culture, the morale, everything from within intact, um, because, you know, you have those strong values and you have to keep them together. And I think that's where... Uh, down the road, some companies end up getting shaky, right? Because they exactly. lose those values because they are too focused on that growth.
1: Exactly. I think we've, we've done a little bit the opposite, right? I think people are so good, so, so, so smart and so hardworking. It's incredible. And w- without the team, wouldn't be anywhere. I think that we have refused to lower the bar in terms of who mm-hmm. we attract and who we work with. And that sometimes means that when you think that you need somebody, between you think that, and the moment that somebody actually walks through the door and starts adding impact, it can be a little bit longer than ideal mm-hmm. because we're not lowering the bar. And that means that people have to work a little bit, you know, harder for yeah. longer than it would, be, it would ideally be. But, but yeah, everybody's super committed. And like, if you, if you think about the, the return that people are making on their equity stocks, on, the, on their stock options. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess everybody's very happy about it.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Good. Yes. I mean, that's the that's the key. As long as everyone is remaining happy, I mean, right. I totally I, I feel you. Uh, uh, startup life is is not is not easy. Um, I'm at a media company that's a startup as well. Um, but at least every day I wake up very happy to be doing yeah. what I'm doing and I'm thrilled to you know, put in the extra work or hours to, to help us grow And because and, you're looking at that long-term view. And then you literally created a fintech company where you help other founders literally do that, look at their long-term view and their long-term successes and how to get there um, with that reoccurring revenue. So I love that. Um, I also want to ask a little bit about the um, uh, CapChase's recent announcement of a new extension of that mission, which is yeah. CapChase Earn. Um, it's a deposit account that is designed for startups and provides that real return on idle cash. So yeah. why was it so important to design this product um, Capchase Earn?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, let me put that in in the context of what our mission is, right? Because our mission is not to just provide non dilutive financing, right? Our mission mm-hmm. is to automate, you know, everything that touches a dollar for recurring revenue businesses. So That goes from financing to revenue management, expense management, treasury management, and FinOps. So those five things. It is a very broad vision, but we think that it is exactly what we need to do. We have to put that on autopilot and automate it so that founders don't even have to worry about it. They just know what's going on, but they don't have to worry about it. We are building most of it. We're partnering for a lot of it as well. We are like, buying our way into some of it as well. So, um, but th- that is the mission, right? So then why Capchis earn makes so much sense is because yeah. there, there are two, basically two, two, two parts of, uh, or, or like two big buckets of customers. We have the bootstrap customers, you know, they've never raised money. They're never going to sell part of the business. They want to do it on their own, other terms. And then you have the VC backed businesses, which are fine selling parts of a business, but ideally would like to sell less, you know, and, and grow oh. faster. So, Both of these types of businesses, they are characterized by sometimes having a lot of excess cash, you know, and then sometimes um, needing cash to to continue to grow, right? And this is because of seasonality, but mostly in VC-backed companies is because they raise a big round and then they get runway, let's say 24 months of runway, whatever. They spend that money by growing and, and getting better and then they raise again and then they spend it. So you think about it, between the moment they raise a round and the moment they run out of cash or they raise the next round, they have a ton of money that's not doing anything. It's literally yeah. sitting in the bank waiting to be used. And Until now, the alternative that founders had was putting that money in a bank account, in a money market account, you know, at a bank and making what? Like 0. 0.1, 0.2% return. If they get yeah. extremely sophisticated, maybe 0.4% on a yearly basis. And that makes no sense, right? So then what we're doing with Capsis Earn um, is basically helping founders, again, put the money in a bank, but instead of making 0.2% return, they can make 3% return, right? And then this means that they can also access, you know, either using non-diluted financing at the same time for all the predictable stuff, then they can offset part of the cost of that financing with the yield they get from their, Cash that's just sitting around, you know, but that is, but that it is very expensive, which means that the combination of both means that they can access that financing, that non, non, non sorry, that non diluted financing, at a very, very, very extremely low cost of capital, right? So between two to three percent, um, which means that then these companies, the cash profile, instead of looking like a big spike, and then a line towards zero, another big spike, and then a line towards zero, it looks much more like a big spike. And then quite stable because they're funding most of the predictable things with CAPTCHAISE. And then the next round is way into the future, so years later than what it would have. So, again, like if you think about it, like this is just one little step in automating everything that touches a dollar, in this case, Treasury.
0: I, I love hearing about Cap Chase Earn, and I also appreciate the the graphing visuals that you've provided. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and um, what about the buy now, pay later uh, or buy now, yeah, buy now, pay later uh, yeah. feature? Right. That yeah. um, I feel like you know, buy now, pay later has gotten like a bad rep, at least when it comes <laughs> to like consumer um, buy now, pay later options. So, how does your product maybe um, you know how is it unique and ensure that? even founders have healthy financial behaviors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something, what you say is really, really important. I, I'm a huge fan of buying later, even for consumers. I think that the bad rep is, I think from people like buying or overbuying stuff because it's harder to calculate, you know, for how long you're going to be paying it, et cetera. So I think that they probably, we'll probably see a lot of advances into understanding, into making people understand what this means and almost like visually explain how, you know, purchasing a, whatever, $2,000 Peloton bike today means on a monthly basis in the mm-hmm. future. And if you start stacking more like buy up pay later purchases, what that would mean. But I, I think it's a, it's a huge value prop. In our case, why we launched Cubge's Extend, which is our buy up pay later for, for businesses, only for recurring revenue businesses, sorry, is that you think about it, such businesses, they have a lot of upfront expenses, Mm-hmm. and then the revenues come in a deferred way right so why pay upfront why part upfront with all that cash if there's a way in which you can align you know those cash outflows with revenue coming in with predictable revenue coming in from customers So there are a few a few areas in which this makes so much sense and I'm gonna say them first and then I explain but you have like cloud infrastructure, software or other SaaS products, you have sales commissions, professional services, uh, invoices, right? So there are a ton of expenses that usually you have to pay up front, but that you will use or that which benefits you will reap over the following months, right? So with captives, you can you can pay with captives, you can pay up front, but then pay back installments. And this is amazing for things like cloud infrastructure software, because you can pay up front, get a massive discount for paying up front, and then instead of parting with the cash upfront, you can pay with Capsys, use Capsys Extend, and pay monthly. So you instantly are getting like a 20, 30 percent discount on whatever you're you're paying now. Same with uh, with with um, sales bonuses. You know you can you know compensate your salespeople accordingly when they close a contract. But in reality, you part with the cash month of a month um, with Capsys, same with professional services and everything. And the way that we're getting around that unpredictability, you know, with um, or, or, or that lack of visibility over what you're spending because it comes in small bits instead of big mm-hmm. chunks is by being very deeply integrated with the companies and letting them know what what these expenses mean you know, over the following months and helping them with the cash forecast and with the revenue forecast as well. So they see, okay, so instead of paying this million dollar uh, invoice to AWS upfront, mm-hmm. I can pay with capchas and then I can pay... Back to capsize, let's say 85K a month. Um, so then they can see exactly how that means in the cash position, you know, one option versus the other and so on.
0: Uh. I love that. I love that, like predictive analytics. That, um, frankly, like an Amazon e-commerce experience, like gives to a shopper. But doing that for like a startup yeah. founder and saying, like, hey, like here's your next best action. Right. That's what technology is supposed to help us do. Um, and and so we love to see it actually working. And um, you know, in in real time, I do love that I brought up Buy Now Pay Later because I agree. I actually really like it. I yeah. wish I would have. <laughs> I wish I would have had it uh, before like credit card debt happened, but we didn't. And so imagine, you know, that's where I think it maybe has a little bit more Mm -hmm. runway, right? Is almost with like younger people who have the opportunity to start out that way and not, you know, get pigeonholed by uh, credit card and credit card companies and that type of thing. Exactly. um, Yeah, I mean. A, r- a rant for another time, I guess. But thank you for explaining how yours actually helps uh, your your customers. Um, and you've mentioned how Cap Chase's ultimate goal is to be able to have funding and cash flow management for startups really mm-hmm. on autopilot. Tell me yeah. why you'd measure success um, for your company in that manner. And I mean, once you get there, what's you know what ends up happening? Do you plan on just you know sticking to your sticking to your uh, You're a success there and just keep growing or yeah. What happens after you've, you've reached.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we think about it a lot. I mean, there's still a lot, a lot, a lot to build. Um, but why do, first, what do you measure success and then what happens after? Right. So Mm -hmm. why do we measure success in that way? If you think about it, everything that touches a dollar, um, in a company, it is extremely, extremely sensitive, right? But it's not really what creates the success of a business, right? So the success of a business of a startup is going to be built on great products and great distribution. Everything else is pretty much standing on the way. And what I mean by that is that if you do the best financial operations, you know, like the best accounts receivable management, the best accounts payable management, whatever, the, the best accounting in the world, that doesn't really matter, right? If you don't do the best in the world, you can kill a company. You can kill a great company because revenue is falling through the cracks or you're not really collecting from your customers or you don't know what's going on with the cash, so you're just like spending where you shouldn't be, et cetera. But if you do it really well, unless you have a great product and a great distribution, it doesn't really matter. Like the company is just not gonna exist anyways, right? Yeah. So if you think about it, there is very, very, very little upside in 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 that specific area in financial operations, you know, and everything that touches the dollar. And there is a catastrophic downside. If you make a mistake, the downside is there, right? So if there's like a lot of mistakes, it can be automated. This little upside, you know, this is just like prone for, for automation and, and for um, wanting to know what's going on, but not really having, you know, like needing to operate it, you know, because it's always the same as well, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's why we want to, what we feel so strongly about it. Like we don't want any company to 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 not achieve their potential because they're, they're doing something wrong with everything that touches a dollar. So that's what we wanna do. Um, how we're doing it, you know, like we're doing bit by bit. We're launching a ton of new products. So we launched, I think, three products this year. We're gonna launch probably like three or four next year. The first one we are embedding CapTrace, you know, in, in vertical SaaS, in other FinTechs, in banks, and so on, so they can offer our products to their next. customers. Um, we're also launching a ton of other products in the in the in the FinOps in the FinOps area. Um, let's say three years from now when our product is like fully complete and a founder from idea inception to post IPO can connect to captives to automate everything that touches a dollar through ourselves or through our partners or whatever. Um, I think that then we'll probably have to focus on, on helping more companies become predictable, right? So every company wants to build predictability and, 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 re- and a recurring aspect in their revenue. Sometimes they don't. And even the shift, Going from selling, let's say, widgets to selling access to a widget um, is a mm-hmm. massive, massive lift in terms of, again, everything that touches dollar in terms of billing, in terms of cash management, in terms of finance and so on. So they will need help for that. And we, wanna, we want to help them, right? Ideally, everybody becomes a subscription business at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be so cool to see. I can't <laughs> wait to see what uh, partnerships and integrations you have and, and just how that helps. Um, you guys grow how it helps more people, um, you know to be integrated in, into banks and um, oh, yeah. you know, other fintech companies. I mean, that makes so much sense, right, for that to be the next step in your yeah. growth trajectory um, to help more people. Love to see it. Um, I have to ask maybe just like one question about just kind of a common thread you've seen between startups that mm-hmm. um, achieve success, and you've kind of like already outlined success. Um, with you know uh, saas companies especially cuz you've you've helped so many of them scale obviously yeah. um so maybe is it more so thinking about you know the common thread between what um uh, they have in common in terms of being successful or do you think it's more important about the companies that maybe aren't as successful and what they have the common thread that they've maybe lacked um yeah i don't know right. which one do you think is like something more important for like our audience to, to kind of hear and remember and say, Hey, I should do that. Or, Hey, I shouldn't do that.
1: Yeah. I think that th- there are a few things, right? I think that uh, a, a, main, a main point of advice or a main common thread is companies, like the successful companies that we see are companies that have found product market fit before going all in in growth, right? So you can mask product market fit by putting a lot of money into acquisition if you put a lot of money, like people will buy, like you, you, you can box people into buying a product by spending a lot on acquiring them. But then, you know, if the product market fit is not there, it will be a leaky bucket and then you're just pouring money and then you're not getting lifetime value out of a customer, mm-hmm. right? So I think that tinkering until you find product market fit is super, super, super important before pouring money into growth. To give you an idea, I don't think we, yeah. we spend a single dollar in marketing, a, literally a single dollar. Until we were, until we were at like 5 million ARR or something like that. So not a cent because we wanted to understand first, you know, what resonated and what didn't before we could amplify that message, right? So finding product market share first. And then another super important thing, I think, is people that confuse fundraising success with actual like company success. And, And it's very easy to mask one with the other, especially when fundraisers get so celebrated. But a startup that has just raised a massive round hasn't achieved, you know, the the, the, the ultimate goal. Which the ultimate goal is building a, a company that will last and will create a material exit and returns for the shareholder, right? So yeah. um, what I always tell my team is that fundraising, and we've raised a ton of money and it's going great, right? Um, we should always think that we are still mortal. You know, yeah, sure. Like yeah. we can have all the spotlights. It's amazing. We've raised a ton of money, but we still have to think that it's day one. And that we still have a lot to prove. Just because it's like a great fundraising environment and we can raise a ton of money doesn't mean that we've made it. Like we we just it just means that the expectations are even higher and we need to continue raising the bar. So, so yeah, like like how we see that in the companies that we work with is companies that raise a ton of money but they still remain diligent, you know, and tracking their metrics and, and right. making sure they they're spending the money in the right way and not just you know spending for spending's sake.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that insight. I think that all of those um, bits are so valuable for our audience and the fintech pros that are tuning in um, and a lot of them, I'm sure, are just you know starting their own, their own thing, and so um, those are super helpful action items. Um, I want to also get a little bit into culture. It's super important here at what the fintech um, inclusion and representation uh, is is a part of one of my core values, one of my um, you know big things that I talk a lot about, um, and it's important to me in my content. So. In April, CapChase announced that it set aside 100 million dollars to provide funding exclusively for women and minority-led businesses. Talk to me about why this initiative is so critical to you and how it's going since announcing. Right. Have you funded any exciting new women or BIPOC-led? Start? Oh yeah!
1: Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! Oh, yeah? So, Hell
0: yeah! Woohoo!
1: Yeah Good. yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> why, why is it important? Well, first of all, it is very important to me personally, and then I think to everybody in the team as well. Um, to me, is really important because I grew up in an all women household, and um, I know that like if you're if you're a woman or from minority, they, there's always an additional hurdle, you know, when when trying to achieve your goals, right? And and when I came to the U.S. and I suddenly found that um, <laughs> I being from Spain, I was um, you know classified as Latinx and, and Hispanic, right? So um, I've never in reality, like I've never experienced like a adversity in that sense, you know, when setting up capsules and so on, but Interestingly enough, like Crunchbase selected us today actually as one of the one of the top like um, Latinx funded funded startups, right? So in that sense, th- those two data points. Plus, most importantly, um, a friend of mine doing a research at Harvard saw that I think it was like two percent or or less than two percent of the investment in VC money had gone to to female only mm-hmm. funded startups or or by funded startups, right? So. That, I think, was totally misaligned with the number of companies funded by women-only founders or BIPOC-only founders, right? I think it's like around 30 or 40%. So the reason why this investment was not, what well, the, the dollars deployed into those companies was not aligned with, with the proportion of these companies being funded um, is for a few reasons, you know. It can be conscious or unconscious biases. It can be because of, you know, the mission of the business, it can be whatever, but we, we didn't want to take part of it, right? And we were seeing that given that we had no biases in our evaluation, because it's all purely data-driven, um, we we're seeing that we weren't we weren't being part of that, you know, like bias crew. So we said, okay, we're not only being part of it, we, just, we actually want to make a conscious effort to work with this type of founders. Um, and that's why we made that of that commitment. I don't think we have achieved it, to be honest. I, I wanted to do the play 100 million. I think we have... Um, a little bit more than half of that, I think, but still, it's, it's it's a big it's a big proportion of you know what we've done, and, and we continue to to support these groups, and you know we, we we can just get better, and it's a metric that we want to improve against. So, mm-hmm. um, it is important to us. We wish we could have done it better, uh, but I think we are doing we're we're doing well. We're turning in the right direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it takes that intentionality, right? Like, yeah. you were you decided, hey, I see this. Um, as a problem, I want to be a part of the solution. Literally, every um, you know action helps, and I mean, a hundred million dollars in uh, <laughs> and, and setting that aside to say I'm exclusively uh, investing in women and minority-led businesses um, is huge. You know, there's folks out there that don't do that. That um, or have much less or whatever it is. So, um, it's, it's just like, uh, it's like climate change or recycling or anything in our world, right? You know, you gotta, um, take a a bite at the elephant at a time. You don't just eat it whole. And so it takes these, these, um, efforts, even, um, if small or whatever it is, uh, to, to move forward. And so I love that. I mean, are you able to share of any like exciting new startups that you have funded in or or like invested in or no? I feel like might
1: I not be that. i not sure. I have to check. I think we have to keep them <laughs> to keep them private. But but some of them are in our website, you know, in in our like, okay. success stories. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Well, we love to see it. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Miguel. This is such an of awesome course. conversation. Um, I have to ask maybe one more question for you. Just mm-hmm. some final thoughts. Please tell us what the F we can expect from you and Cat Chase <laughs> next.
1: All right. Let's see. I think this year is going to be very, very interesting, right? We, we are getting, we are live now in, in a few markets, right? So US, Canada, most of the European Union and the UK. Uh, so what we're seeing is that founders are clamoring for this type of product and it goes way, way, way beyond just the financing, right? So um, stay tuned because this year is going to be very interesting. We're we're probably going to grow like 5X or, or, or more only on the financing side, but then we're going to be coming up with our first like software only products to continue to automate more pieces that touch a dollar and and to help founders you know to get more time to focus on what really matters which in our opinion is building and selling amazing products so yeah um, stay tuned it's gonna be fun
0: yeah I mean you have a busy year ahead and uh, <laughs> we are excited to see the growth I am definitely keeping my eyes on Miguel and cap chase and the team over there and all the great work they're doing um, yeah I I Sure, it's only going to be a year filled with so much success um, and just fun. And speaking of fun, I got to wrap up this episode so that Miguel can go to his Christmas holiday party or holiday <laughs> party in general to celebrate just the end of the year and all the success and have fun with your team. So thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. I really do appreciate all of your authenticity and your honesty and everything that you shared. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Nicole. It was so much fun, and okay. yeah, happy to help in in any way. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, fun is what we like to have here on What the Fintech. So thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, see you soon.